from the reading, you'll have gathered that we're continuing this series in 1 Corinthians. We're in part four of that. Um, this part, uh, which is about the, the church gathered, um, which is funny because it looks like we're not going to be able to gather in the same way for a wee while. Um, but it's still relevant nonetheless because we will gather, even if it's two or three or ten of us, it's still the church gathered, right? Um, and in chapters 12 to 14 of this letter, Paul's, he's answering questions that some of the uh, Corinthians have about spiritual, spirituality and, and spiritual things, and, and, he wants, and they want to know the nature of these, and particularly uh, the spiritual gifts. Uh, and anytime we hear the spiritual gifts, it tends to, you know, we it tend to prick our ears up a wee bit, uh, either for good reasons or for bad reasons. And, and, and here's what we need to remember. Like we saw last week, just a quick uh, reminder that the spiritual gifts are abilities that God has given to every single Christian for the glory of Jesus by building up the church. So, so every Christian has been gifted in a special way. Uh, that we might serve each other, to build each other up, and that's all for the glory of Jesus, because as we're going to see today, the church is Jesus' body. Uh, and today's passage, uh, this, this theme of unity and, and diversity continues, that, that we are individually different, uh, with different gifts and experiences and abilities. We all have different abilities, and we all bring different things to the table, yet we're all part of the same body. We're all part of the whole, right? And Paul illustrates that with this analogy, uh, kind of a brilliant analogy, actually, of the, the human body. So before we go any further, I'm, I'm going to pray for us, um, and then we're going to see a short, a short video, which will make sense after, I think, um, and then uh, we'll get stuck into our passage. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us um, in whatever situation and time we find ourselves in. <laughs> Uh, help us to hear your voice this morning, and may your voice be the voice that changes our lives to be more like Jesus, uh, so that he can be glorified. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, had to get some space in there, get out of the way. Um, I saw that I've written TV the other day, and I just thought, well, that actually really represents what Paul is saying today. Um, he, it's a really good picture of, 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 of how Every part of the body of Christ is indispensable and essential. So the guy who's cleaning the floor, you can't say, well, he's not important because he has a vital role to play. Like the woman who's doing the calculations. Fascinating one, by the way, uh, human computer. Anyway, different time for that. We can talk about this some other time. And so that something great can happen. And, and this is what Paul is trying to communicate to the church, that, that every Christian is indispensable and essential. And that means that if you're a Christian, you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, and the church would be incomplete without you, which is kind of a cool thought, right? So I wonder if you've ever been, uh, anyone ever built Ikea furniture? I'm sure we all have, or at least seen people try to do that. And you know when you get to the end, and there's always a handful of bits left over, like wee screws or those wee dial rods or anything, and you think, well, it can't be that important because they're tiny, so throw them away. And then you look at the thing, the bookcase, and the shelf's all wonky, or something's on back to front, or it collapses or whatever. That, that's kind of what the church is like. Every part, no matter, no matter how small, has a job to do, and they're all important. And this is what was happening in the Corinthian church. Not that they were building Ikea furniture, of course, but um, they, they didn't see every member of the church as important. They didn't see every member of the church as necessary. They had kind of created a hierarchy that was based on the spiritual gifts that people had. So they put more importance on the gifts that they considered to be more spiritual, especially the gifts of tongues. And we're going to come back to tongues when we get to chapter 14, because Paul goes into more detail on it there. 
But the, their culture was highly superstitious. It was highly spiritual. They had a pantheon of different gods. There were temples for all kinds of different deities like we saw last week. And, and, and they were trying to, to make God fit into that belief system. They were trying to make God maybe just one other God or they were trying to take certain aspects of God and put them in different places for different times and different things. And once again, the theme of the Corinthian church is that they were imposing the values of their culture and letting that shape the church instead of letting Jesus shape the church so that they would be different to or counter to the culture around them. Ancient Greek culture was superstitious and spiritual, so they put most importance on those kinds of gifts, the people who were speaking in tongues, the people who were interpreted in tongues. And we do the same in our own way, Right? So what things do we value in Western culture, Western society? We value things like fame and authority and power. And so in the church, we tend to favor the gifts that are more public and are more about authority and power. We put more importance on people who have the gifts of preaching and, and, and leadership and the gifts that are, are practiced more publicly, like worship leading. Or the more supernatural gifts like prophecy or the more showy gifts, if you like. We put more importance on those things. But here's the problem. What if you aren't gifted in any of those ways? Those more important quote-unquote ways. What happens if you aren't gifted with, with leading or teach, teaching or leading worship or singing or any of those things? You see, when we rank the spiritual gifts like that, what happens is that the people who don't have those kinds of public and authoritative gifts, they end up thinking that either that their gifts aren't important and they don't really have a role to play, or that they have to try and somehow be different and try and get different gifts. And like we saw last week, there tends to be, end up with two, two types of people when it comes to this kind of stuff. So you have people, who, those who lack confidence in their gifting, and so they don't contribute or you have people who take pride in their gifts or are envious of other people's gifts, and so they end up not contributing either. And this is what was happening in Corinth, and we need to be careful that this isn't happening in our church either. So Paul used this analogy of the human body to show them, and this is also what God has sent to us this morning through this passage, that all members of Christ's body are necessary and important. So be and do what God has uniquely created you to be and do. Let me say that again. All members of Christ's body are necessary and important. So be and do what God has uniquely created you to be and do. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at, uh, see how this, this idea is worked out through Paul's teaching here. Now remember, one of the main themes of this letter is, is unity in the church. This whole letter is kind of a big drive about unity in the church. And, and, and this part is about the gathered church. And within that is this section about the spiritual gifts. And so, so what Paul's doing here specifically is speaking directly towards unity in the church and how the spiritual gifts contribute to that. So that's what we're going to see. And the first part of this is that all members are part of one body and we're united by the Holy Spirit. All members are part of one body and we're united by the Holy Spirit. So listen again to what he says in, in, in the start of this, verses 12 and 13. Well, actually, we'll go on to 16, maybe. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the... And what? Let me start again. I've lost my place already. I'll edit that out of the recording so it'll look, you know, really slick. 
for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Now, Paul is using this illustration of the church, and he says, the church is like the human body, right? And, and we, all know, we all know how the, the human body works, right, to some degree or other. We're all, not all doctors, but we all have a fair idea of the basics. And so... Um, Nobody in their right mind would say that their arm is their body. That doesn't make sense. You wouldn't say that this part of my body, you say it's a part of my body. And so these body parts, different body parts, make up the whole. And what he says of the church is that altogether all Christians make up the body of Christ. We are the body and Christ is the head. And this is really, really important. This is, there's a reason why Paul wants to start here. He says there are many parts of one body, and look what he says. He doesn't say, so it is with the church. He says, so it is with Christ. In other words, the church, us, we're not separate from Christ. We are, figuratively speaking, the body of Christ. We're not separate from him. And, and this is interesting because I think this comes from how Paul became a Christian in the first place. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul wasn't always the Apostle Paul. Does anybody know who he was before? He was Saul. Very good. And Saul absolutely hated Christians. Hated them. He was responsible for throwing them in prison, having them beat up. He, he would even sign death warrants and have them executed and stoned and all that kind of stuff. He really did not like Christianity at all. Until one day, he meets the Lord Jesus, right? So he's on the road to Damascus, and the risen Lord Jesus appears to him out of nowhere in a blinding light, and he falls to the ground, such as the shock of it, and Jesus says to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, you might think, well, why would Jesus say, why are you persecuting the church? But the point is that the church is not separate from Christ. The church is the body, and Christ is the head. And so to persecute the body is to persecute Christ, just in the same way that to do harm to your foot, for example, is to do harm to your body. And we, if you've ever stubbed your toe or stood in a piece of Lego in your bare feet, you know that's the case, right? You stub your toe, it's not just your foot, that your toe that reacts, your whole body reacts. Like maybe your knees bend, your back, you know, you go down, you, you definitely, your mouth's in action then, saying some stuff, you know what I mean? Like, um, not me, obviously, I'm the pastor, I would never say anything bad. Um, that's true. You might need to edit that bit out as well. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but the body is one. Even though the toe is just one tiny part of our body, it's still part of the body. And so what happens to that bit affects the whole. In the same way, we are the body and we are not separate from Christ. And this is foundational to our theology. It really is. This is something that we need to grasp and understand. It's, it's core to what we believe as Christians. The church is who we are. It's not an event that we come to. It's not a building. And we're going to see that very soon forced upon us, right? As we have to meet in each other's homes more. The church is who we are if we are in Christ. And that's, it's from that foundation that we need to think about 
what part we then play or what part we have in the church. It's who you are. And this is why baptism is a big deal, because notice that Paul mentions baptism in here, because in baptism, we join with Christ symbolically. So in baptism, you go down into the water and you're submerged in it, and then you're raised up out of that water. You don't do it yourself. It is done to you. And symbolically, uh, we're joining with Christ. We identify with Christ as we go down the water. We're identifying uh, with him uh, just like he died and went down into the earth. And then as we come out of the water, we're, we're, we're joined with him symbolically as he came up out of the earth, was raised back to life. And if we're baptized identifying with Christ and the church is Christ's body, then we are joined to the church in baptism. That's what baptism does. It, it, it ushers you into the church. It, it's, it's a sign that you now belong to this new family. That's why, that's why it, you know, to be a member of our church, you have to be baptized. And I love the imagery that's built in here, right? Uh, and yeah, I'll just say it. This word baptism that Paul uses here, it, it's, you don't really pick up in the English, but uh, this word is actually a word that was used back then to describe a boat that had sank, right? And what's interesting about that is, think about it, a boat that sinks, think of a shipwreck at the bottom of the sea, the boat is both under the water and full of the water, right? That's why Paul says we are baptized in the Spirit and we drink of the Spirit. The boat has both gone into the water and, if you like, taken in the water like a drink. It is submerged and filled. And the, the, the boat is in the water and the water is in it. You see what I'm saying? And just like that, we are both in Christ and Christ is in us. Isn't that incredible? Like we, are, we are in Christ and he is in us. It's like we're saturated with Jesus, <laughs> like a sponge. It's all around us and in us through his Holy Spirit. And it's foundational to who we are as Christians. And this is where, where Paul says, hey, you need to get to grips with this before you think about how, how this plays out. And because of that foundation, the church is made up of many parts, but yet we are one. We are all one. So it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, we are one in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're unionist or nationalist, or we are one in Christ. Black, white, male, female, Asian, Hispanic, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. When you believe in Jesus, you become part of the church, and therefore we are all one, regardless of your background, regardless of your politics, regardless of, of your surname or where you went to school or what side of the street you grew up on. When we trust in the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit makes us one, makes us one family. So let me tell you something that maybe you've never considered before. If you are a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are part of the church. If you are in Christ, you are part of his body because the church is not separate from his body. Now, the church is not separate from him. The church is his body. So there's no such thing as a Christian who's not part of the body of Christ. And so because of that, you can't say, well, I want Jesus, but I don't want the church. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. I can't say I want my wife, but just cut off her head and keep that beside me. That'd be weird and grotesque, wouldn't it? If you, if you, if you want Jesus, then you want the church. Eugene Peterson, who's a, who, um, who, who died last year, actually, but he was a... Uh, just a really pastor, he was a pastor, and he said this, he said, our membership in the church 
is, is a colliery of our faith in Christ. We can be no more a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not have a family. Membership in the church is a basic spiritual fact for those who confess faith in Christ. And in our, in our westernized culture, we, we value and prize individualism and autonomy. And we talk about things like my faith and, and my personal faith and my walk with the Lord and my gifts and my spiritual journey. And, and, and to a degree, that's right. It's partly right. But if we're not careful, we can exaggerate this way of thinking to the point where we don't want anything to do with the body of Jesus. And before you know it, what happens? You're just a shriveled hand or a, or a weathered leg that is no, has, has no function at all. It doesn't function. It's not able to function as a part of the body. And so what I would say is that, yes, God made you unique. Yes, God has gifted you individually. But you are part of the body. And if you're trying to not be part of the body, you'll just weather and die. The church needs individuality, not individualism. The church needs unity, not uniformity. We need to be together and we can still maintain our, our varieties within that. And that's a beautiful thing. So don't try and exist outside of the body. If you believe in Jesus, then you are part of the body. And it's unnatural for you to try and be separate from it. It won't lead to your flourishing. Now, I'm aware that, and I want to speak sensibly to this, maybe, maybe you feel, I don't really know how I fit in. I don't, really be, I don't feel like I don't really belong here. Maybe all these people are too young or, or all these people are too old or yeah, they don't really get me or, or something like that. I, I don't really feel like I belong. Well, listen to this, and this is not just me saying this. This is, this is the Bible saying this. You do belong. If you believe in Jesus, then you do belong. We are part of one body and we are united by his spirit. And not just that then, Paul also says that all members are necessary. So don't try to be something you're not. Listen to what he says in verses 17 to 20. Where are we? 17. If the whole body were, in, were an eye, where would, the sense of, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were, if, if all were a single member, there, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. What Paul is saying here, uh, what God is saying here through Paul is incredible. He's saying, if you're a Christian, not only are you part of the body, not only do you, be, do you belong to the body, but you are indispensable to the church. In other words, the church needs you. Now, please hear me, because I, 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 know, I know some of you struggle with this, but you are essential to the church. You matter. Your presence in this church family matters. You need to hear that. You need to believe that. The church would, Jesus is saying that, that his body would be incomplete without you. And maybe you feel like you don't matter or you don't have anything to give or, or, or that you don't know enough to be useful or that people don't get you. Remember, remember what I, that, that, that new family I talked about earlier when we spoke of baptism? You are a part of it and you are a necessary part of it. So we have Abigail, who's two, 
And honestly, she doesn't really contribute practically much. She, t- she takes her own plate into the kitchen now, which is good, but usually there's peas falling on the floor, so you have to clean up that anyway. But, what she, but she still contributes to our family because she's probably the biggest source of joy and laughter in our house because she's frankly hilarious. Do you see what I mean? On the surface, it may look like, well, she doesn't pay the bills or she doesn't, she doesn't do anything. Well, that's because she's a baby, but she brings us love and joy and laughter. She brings us unity. You are part of the family and you're necessary to the family. And whether you're a toe or a finger or a liver or an eardrum or a bum or whatever, no, hope nobody's a bum. We're going to come back to bums actually, so get used to me saying bum. Uh, however, whatever you are, God has made you part of his body. And however God has gifted you is necessary for the flourishing of his body. What kind of Think about the grotesque monster it would be if everybody was all, if we were all fingernails. That'd be terrifying. Or all eyeballs. That'd be terrifying. It'd be a nightmare. But when every part is in its right place the way God intended it to be, the body's a miraculous thing. And it functions well. Just like verse 18 says, it is God who arranges the, part of the parts of the body the way they need to be. So don't be, don't be tempted to think that because you don't have any public gifts or you don't have any of those authority gifts that our society values, that you don't matter. That's not true. The church would not and could not function if everybody was a preacher or if everybody was a worship leader. The church needs every gift that God has given the church, including the ones that he has given to us through you. You are necessary and listen, if, if you do have more public gifts, if you have, have gifts that are more visible, visibly obvious, then don't take pride in that. Yes, you are necessary, but you're no more necessary than people who have less public gifts. And remember two things about that. Firstly, they're called gifts. You didn't earn it, and you don't deserve it. And secondly, the gifts are given to the church, not you. We don't say, Mom, what's my gifting? No, no, no. What has God given to his body through me? That's a more accurate way that we should say that. It's not your gift. It's the church's gift that he has given by his Holy Spirit through you. So we tend to be so self-focused that we just want to know about my gift or my role. But the truth is that, that you are part of the body and whatever gifts you have have been given for the church. They're for glorifying Jesus through building up his body. That's it. So don't take pride if you're tempted to do that. We're all part of the same body and we're all necessary to the body. Nobody's indispensable. And this is good news, especially if you feel like you don't have much to offer. Not only are you part of the church, but you're necessary for the church. And then, and then Paul takes this even one step even further. Uh, we're, we're all part of the same body. We're all uh, necessary. No one's indispensable. But he also says that all members are valued, even if it doesn't always feel that way. So listen to what he says in the next part in 21 to 26. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I love this. I love this imagery, right? Because what he's saying is basically that the body of Christ is this beautiful representation of the kingdom of God. And what, the kingdom of, what is the kingdom of God like? The kingdom of God is where the last are first, where the weakest are made strong, where the poor are made rich, where the dishonorable are given honor. That's the kingdom of God, and that's what the body of Jesus is supposed to be like. God has composed his body, the body of Christ, so that he takes members that don't fit anywhere else and he gives them a home. He puts them in the place of honor, not because they deserve it, but because he's full of grace, not because they earned it, but because he freely gives it. Think about the people, the people that the world would call weak, people that the world would call foolish, people that the world would cast aside. And Jesus says, come to me if you're weak and weary and don't have a home, and I'll give you rest. I will raise you up out of the depths of despair to be a child of God. So if you feel that way, you feel weak or you feel I don't have a place, this is what God has done for you. He's given you a a, a necessary and vital part in his body. And then Paul, he he keeps going with this idea and he he draws attention to the parts of the body that are covered up, right? So you know what I'm talking about, the bits that we don't show to anyone else, Okay. Paul calls them unpresentable, and they should be covered up. Um, so take a take a bum for ex- <laughs> take a bum for a second. That's a sentence I never thought I'd say up here. Take a bum for a second. Bums are always covered up. At least they should be. Cover your bum. That's a good piece of life advice. Uh, but but bums are so valuable through the body, right? Think how uncomfortable it would be to sit down if you didn't have a bum. Just be sitting on bones. It'd be terrible. But the point, I can't stop thinking about bums now. Uh, the point that Paul's getting at is this, right? He's saying that, that your gifting may lead you to serve the church in a way that's covered up, in a way that's not visible, right? But this is an honorable position in the body of Jesus. Some, some people are behind the scenes, as it were. Like, you know, some people serve the church, and, and, and lots of you do serve the church in ways that no one ever knows about. And we relegate those kinds of people, don't we? If we're honest, we relegate. We say, well, those things aren't as important or we think less of them. And we, we put more importance on the people that are up at the front all the time. But in the body of Christ, this is not how it works at all. These people who God has gifted in this way, who, who serve in these hidden and, and secret and less visible ways, they are the people who have the greatest honor in the body of Christ. And we need to honor them and love them and care for them because they really matter. They're not not unimportant. They're essential. And listen, if that's you, and in a sense, I think this is all of us, right? We're all all supposed to do things unseen and hidden. We're all just to serve for the glory of God, not for our own fame. But specifically, if you feel that's you, if you've been made to feel like you don't matter or you're unimportant, then I'm really sorry. That's really not how we want this church to be at all. In Christ, you are needed. We value you. Don't think for a second that because you're not up on a stage, that that you're not important. 
Because how you serve the church and the way God has gifted you is vital. Jesus says that his body would be incomplete without you. So God has, God has composed the body of Christ so that, so that those who lacked honor are given honor. Those who are not visible are in the place of honor. And why does he do this? Why is he saying this? So that there will be no division. He doesn't want there to be division. He wants there to be unity in the church, in the body. See, the Corinthians have been using their unique giftings to, to cause division, right? Oh, well, that guy's got tongues. Like, I need to get tongues. Well, you don't have tongues, so obviously I should be more important than you. And we mustn't do that. We need to stay away from that kind of, of thing. In the body, all the members have the same care for one another. One doesn't receive more care than others. There are no first and second class citizens in the kingdom of God. So in the body, I love when Paul says, listen, in the body, if one member suffers, then we all suffer. Think of Rachel who lost her mom this week. And that makes us sad because she's our sister. But if, if another member is celebrating, then we're all celebrating. It's like the good thing happened to us. We all share equally in the bad and in the good because we're all part of the body and so we all equally care for one another. Like imagine if you got a cut on your pinky toe. That's the first time in my life I've ever said pinky toe, by the way. And you decide to do nothing about it, right? You're just like, well, it's just my wee toe. It's just a wee toe. It's not very important. And sure, it's covered up. It's in my shoe all day. Nobody ever sees it. Just forget about it. Pretty soon, if you don't do anything about it, it's going to get infected. And then infection can spread. And maybe you need to lose a leg eventually or something. I don't know. But my point is that if you forget about it, you don't care for it because it's a tiny little toe. It just gets worse and worse and worse and worse until it infects the whole body. And I promise you, my point is that we need to care for what we see as the least parts. And I promise you, especially maybe if you're younger, right, and you haven't had this yet, you will go through times in your life when you need cared for. Maybe even sooner than you think. And in those times, you'll realize just how good it is to be part of the body. There's loads of you in this room, myself included, who've, who've been cared for by this body. And it's amazing. And that's what we need to do. Some of you might remember Ty Neal from Grace Point Church in Vegas. He was over here with the team. And he said this. He said, it takes a, it takes a whole church to raise a whole Christian. I love that. We need each other. We need everyone. We need to care for one another. And if you want to be a healthy Christian, if you want to be mature, it's not just the pastors or the elders or the teachers or the missional community leaders or whatever that you, you, that you need. You need the whole church. And the whole church needs you. So please, if you do need help, if you need care right now, let us know. Let your missional community know. Especially over the next few weeks. We don't know what this is going to look like. And we don't want to act out of fear, but we want to, uh, this is a great chance for us to, to care for each other and to, to love our brothers and sisters in really practical ways, to encourage each other with the gospel, to pick up shopping when they can't go out, or whatever it is. If somebody's self-isolating, then ask them what they need. Or if you're self-isolating, ask for what you need. And when we can't gather together as a whole family, then go to each other's homes. Because it takes a whole body to raise a whole Christian. You are all necessary parts of the body. And so Paul said, right, well, listen, we're all parts of the same body. And not only that, we're all necessary to the body. And 
we're all valued and cared for by the body. But there's one more piece that he goes into here. And this is how this works out. And all members are to play their part, their God-appointed part. This is what he says at the end of this in verse 27. He says, now you're, the, now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And we're going to stop there and we're going to come back to the more excellent way next time. And I love this illustration. Paul's laying out how this all works together. He said, this is what the body is like. You're all part of it. You're all necessary. You're all important. And now he said, well, this is what it looks like. Last week, we saw how Paul gave a list of some, some of the ways that God has gifted the church with spiritual gifts. And now this is another list. And while there's some crossover, there's some new things added to it. This is another example of how none of these lists are complete. They're just some of the ways that we are gifted to serve the church. Now, we need to be careful when we read this list because of the way he puts it. He says that first there's apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and so on. And, and some people read this list as kind of a ranking order of the importance of the gifts. So the apostles at the top, then, and then they're the most valuable. And then underneath them are the teachers and the prophets. They're less valuable than the helpers and the ministers. And it's kind of like this hierarchy thing. But I don't think that's what Paul's doing at all. And I'll tell you why. Because why would he say that everyone's necessary and to be honored and the weakest are to be honored and all that kind of stuff if he's going to somehow rank everyone according to their gift? But I think that what Paul is doing is showing how all the gifts are used by God in the life cycle of a church. So think about Paul for a second. Paul was an apostle. What did that mean? It meant that he was sent by God. He had special commission from God. He was given special power by God. And he would go from place to place and, and preach the good news of Jesus. And people would get saved and a church would be started. So Paul's responsibility was, um, and what he was sent out to do by God was to, and by his church was to make disciples. And when you make disciples, a church gets planted. That's what happens when you have a, a group of believers, disciples of Jesus in one place, a church is planted. And now when a church is planted, what does it need? Well, the first thing it needs are, are people who can bring the word of God, right? And these are the teachers and the prophets, like he says here. They're the people who show these new disciples how to be disciples of Jesus by teaching them the word of God and the way of Jesus. So how can, how can you know how to be a disciple and follow Jesus if no one ever tells you what Jesus said, right? And that's why they're next in the list. Then think about this then. As these disciples, they're, they're starting to learn the word of God and, and starting to put it into practice and they're starting to share in their lives and live in this family of God. And then they're going to realize that they have needs that need to be met, right? As we share our lives, we realize, oh, well, that person needs that and that needs that. And, and this is where the helpers come in. Now, this gift of helping is, I mean, I think it's probably the most common gift that God gives to his church. And by that, I'd say there's probably not many people, there's some people who have this in abundance, but, but all Christians are called to help. It's about the ministry of, of, of practical help and practical assistance. So it's, it's about setting out the chairs and making the coffee and cleaning the building and cooking the meals and welcoming people and, and giving people lifts and picking up their shopping when they're sick. 
and welcoming people into your home and, and thousands of ways that the gift of help is used within the church. And to be honest, unfortunately, most of the time, I think this is the biggest burden of the church that's done by the fewest number of people. Sometimes we don't want to help people. And sometimes we even say, well, I mean, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, the gift of help. I probably don't have that gift. You don't get off the hook. If somebody shows up to your house and they need help or someone in, if one of your brothers and sisters need help, then you help. Actually, the root of this word, it means to take a burden on yourself instead of letting someone else carry it. And, and, and it's, so it's about our attitude to one another. It's about practically caring uh, for one another, for putting each other first in those practical ways. And so you have this church, or these disciples, this church group of disciples who are, are now learning the Word of God from the prophets and the teachers. Uh, they're, they're now living the life of God uh, through helping each other and serving other, one another with the gift of help. Uh, and then uh, as they become more and more interdependent, they're going to come there's going to be situations arise in which they need the more miraculous gifts. So someone gets sick, and I'm not going to go into this in detail because we did it last week. You can go back and listen online. Um, but, but So someone gets sick, so what are we going to do? We're going to pray for them to be healed. We need that, these miraculous gifts of being able to heal people or, or, or divine intervention. And now the church is more up and running and living together as the body of Christ, and so it needs administrators. Now, what do we think of when we think of administrators? I usually think of people who are good at writing lists, uh, responding to emails, and uh, uh, organizing the meeting. That's kind of what you think of, right? Maybe that's, uh, and, and part of that is true. But, but the word that Paul uses here, the word, this word administrator, is actually pilot. It's like, a, it's like the, the person who would, would take the helm of the ship. And their job is, is to be responsible for keeping the ship on the course that the captain has set. And they, they, they make sure that every member of the crew knows what they're doing so that this voyage can continue. And the church really needs these people, these kind of gifts. If you feel that you are gifted in those kind of things, please let me know because we need help. We need people who, who know they can call on the right people at the right time to do the right things, that can organize things and keep things moving in the right direction. That's what administrators do. And so when he talks about all these gifts, he's building up this picture of how the church uh, needs all the gifts that God has given to his people. All these parts come together, not in any ranking of importance, but they all come together to play their part. And it would be carnage if all were the same and all tried to do the same thing. But God has appointed the church different people with different gifts and he needs everybody to play their part. Now, here's the thing. Maybe you're at a point where you're like, okay, this is starting to make sense for me and I'm ready to accept. I can accept that um, God has a role for me to play, even though I'm maybe not confident in that, but I can accept that God has a role for me to play. I believe what you're saying. I believe what the Bible says. And I'm happy to do that, but I don't really know what my role is. I don't really know how God has gifted me. What do you do then? And we talked a little bit about this last week too. Well, here's what I would say. Your gift is not your identity. If you think that you're only going to be fulfilled uh, when you're doing this one specific thing, then you're missing the point and your fulfillment is based on the wrong thing, Right? Yes, God has uniquely gifted you and made you in a certain way, but he hasn't done it for you. 
He hasn't done it so you would be fulfilled. He's done it for the good of his church, hasn't he? So if you don't know what your gift is, or, or, or you feel that you don't have much to offer, or even if you do know what your gift is, let's, the, the solution is simple. Just focus on loving God and loving your neighbor. That's it. Get stuck in with serving your brothers and sisters in the church and, and, and cultivating your relationship with Jesus. Make Jesus your priority by serving others. And as you do that, your gifts are going to become apparent to you and to the people around you. Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, he says, don't be anxious. Put the, put the kingdom of God first and everything else will be added onto you. So don't spend so much time worrying about uh, like who you are or, or where you're supposed to fit in. Just get busy loving and serving Jesus by loving and serving his body. And I guarantee that as you do that, your gifts and, and gifts will, will start to become evident in that. So please, don't pull away from the church. Lean into the church. These gifts that Paul is talking about are for the body. So if you're distancing yourself from the body, how do you expect to know what your gift is? Because the gifts are for the body. How do you expect to function as whatever part of the body you are if you're separating yourself from the body? Get stuck in. Join a missional community. Invest deeply in those relationships. Become the family that you are. That's really it. Serve your missional community and your brothers and sisters however you can. Put their needs before your own. Be selfless. Join a serving team. We, need, we always need more people to clean this place. We need more people to be trained up and do the audio-visual stuff. We, we, we need more people to help with kids. All kinds of things. But get stuck in. Love and encourage and serve the body whatever way you can. This is what Paul says, and we're nearly done here. This is what Paul says at the very end. He says, um, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Notice that in verse 28 and in verse 30, that tongues was at the end of both lists. It's like Paul is saying, listen, that thing you're fascinated by, that thing that you're all going after, that's the last thing that the church needs. <laughs> that's really what he's saying. He's not saying there's some gifts are more special than others. He's saying it's kind of like that's the last thing. Remember that order we talked about, the, you know, how things in the life cycle of the church? He's like, that's a lot. You're going after the very least. You're going after the very last thing the church needs right now. And what he says is earnestly desire the higher gifts. Go after the gifts that most glorify Jesus and build up the body. And next week we're going to see that, listen, you can do all these amazing things. You can, you can, maybe you can prophecy and, and speak in tongues and all this kind of stuff. But if you don't love one another, then you're nothing. You've got it completely wrong. And so the calling for us this morning is to just go after the things that build up the church. Don't wait for a bolt of lightning to tell you what your, what your gift is. Just go after the things that most build up the church. That's the higher gifts. Not the things that put us on a platform or give us the most attention or power. Just play your role in serving the church because that's the most honored place. And finally, like, this is what we see in, in, our, in Lord Jesus, isn't it? Jesus didn't seek the place of honor. He didn't go after power and fame and authority like our world does. He humbled himself. He gave up his glory, right? He submitted himself to humiliating and agonizing death. And the only reason that any of us are necessary and valued in his body is because 
in his grace, Jesus saw us as indispensable. We've been brought into his body by grace and grace alone, and none of us earned our way in. Listen, even if you think that you don't belong or that you're not necessary or valued, the head of the body that you're part of has declared that you do belong, that you are necessary, that you are valued, that you do have a God-given role to play. The strongest member of our body became the weakest member so that you and I could have a necessary and vital part of his body. And it's because of that that we don't have to fight for position. We don't have to try and be seen by people. We don't have to try and shy away from serving the church because we think we have nothing to offer. Because the truth is that we're seen by Jesus. So who cares who else sees us or not? We can just rest in his finished work. That we're here, we're part of his body because of his work, not because of our work. It's his doing, not ours. And we're all members of his body and so we're able to just simply be and do what God has uniquely gifted each of us to be and do. Let's pray.